please turn with me to the book of uh, uh, Nahum and uh, chapter 1. And we'll read uh, chapter 1, and then uh, we will look at the text that we'll be considering together, uh, verse 15b. But for the sake of context, let's read this uh, book and chapter 1. An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of uh, Elkesh. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilt. His way is in the wind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers, Bashan, Bashan and Camel wither, and the blossom, the bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him, the hills melt. The earth heaves before him, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him, but with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversary and will pursue his enemies into darkness. What do you plot against the Lord? He will make a complete end. Trouble will not rise up a second time. For they are like entangled thorns, like drunkards as they drink. They are consumed like stubble, fully dry. From you came one who plotted evil against the Lord, a worthless counselor. Thus says the Lord, though they are at full strength, and many, they will be cut down and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. And now I will break his yoke from off you and will burst your bones apart. The Lord has given commandment about you. No more shall your name be perpetuated. From the house of your gods I will cut off the carved image and the metal, the metal image I will make your grave, for you are vile. Behold, upon the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Keep your feasts, O Judah. Fulfill your vows. For never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Before we consider these things together, may I ask that we bow our heads and pray that God will give us light from his word. Our Father in heaven, the things from your word are so deep, O oh God, in terms of meaning and so deep in terms of messages to us. And we would ask now that it would please you at this moment, to grant us something that together we may behold things wondrous from your word and that together we may be persuaded about what you are saying to us and also that through this you may bring out from us those practical aspects in terms of our response to that which you are saying to us, particularly through uh, this discourse, this moment. And therefore, Plead with you, O God, attend to me, and grant me all that is required to be able to address your people. And also, O God, attend to your people, and grant that, O God, you may give to them to be able to get something of true spiritual value as we meet together now. And therefore, we do pray that it will please you to glorify 
yourself in our midst. Do this for us, O God, for we plead with you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, we come again to this book of uh, Nahum. You do remember that last time when I was uh, here, I considered with you verse 7. Now, one of the things uh, that was very clear in terms of our introduction is, is the fact that uh, uh, this is a prophecy against Nineveh, Nineveh which had previously uh, uh, repented under the preaching of, of, of Jonah. But years later, 100 to about 150 years later, they returned to their old ways. And God comes and tells them through his prophet, and that's why it is both an oracle, uh, in other words, the words concerning Nineveh, as he says in uh, verse 1, but also what God gave uh, Nahum is, is the vision of what he was going to do. And it was basically that now Nineveh was going to have God judge them a final judgment and to, to obliterate them, or so to speak. And uh, the, the text that I will soon be introducing to you is, is actually stating that, the, the last part of uh, our text, uh, when he says, uh, never again shall the worthless pass through you. In other words, the worthless are the nation of Assyria, which was going to be obliterated, and uh, together with uh, this, the contemporary situation here was that Judah was, was cut off and Assyria was uh, uh, ruling uh, the world at this time. And Assyria uh, was what more or less US uh, or China, depending on how you look at things, are doing to the world at the moment. The, the superpower at that time was, uh, was Assyria and very strong. Uh, it was, and uh, Judah was, was cut off uh, from Jerusalem and cut off and not uh, actually permitted to, to do religious uh, rites, and that's what I want us to look at, the last part of uh, verse 15, where God now gives them the promise that they can go back to their religion, they can go back to keeping uh, that which they had known from, from of old, because uh, Nineveh, uh, which was like a pool, as uh, the prophet says, which runs uh, away, was itself going to be plundered. And uh, Assyria was going to be utterly uh, destroyed. Now, our text, verse 15, uh, uh, especially the first uh, part of verse 15, brings hope to the people when they heard uh, this from the mouth of uh, the prophet, that there was going to be one who was going to bring good news. Now, if you are familiar with the Bible, you know that Isaiah 50, 52 and uh, verse 7 also has these first words, of uh, verse 15. Behold upon the mountains the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. And then in Isaiah it goes on to say, our God reigns. And this is a messianic uh, uh, promise of Jesus Christ coming on earth with him, the good news of our salvation and all the while because God himself fulfilled his, his purposes our God reigns. And here, however, I don't want to dwell on why it is the same and so on. Uh, it's not necessary. But uh, the fact is that the, the prophet spoke of Nineveh uh, falling, Nineveh being destroyed. And look at the context. He brings out God's wrath against Nineveh and that God's wrath against Nineveh was actually going to be experienced by Nineveh. And that says, 
uh, though they are at full strength, that is verse 12, and many, they will be cut off and, and pass away. Though I have afflicted you now, but I will afflict you no more. But all this is from the consideration of who God is. And you look at uh, the attributes that uh, this uh, prophecy starts with. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. That's who he is. God is avenging, avenging and wrathful. God takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. That's what God does. He is such a powerful God that when he takes vengeance, it is on his adversaries and he keeps his wrath on his enemies. His enemies are all those who refuse to obey him and do things as they please. And uh, the Assyrians together, uh, Sennacherib together with uh, all his hosts at this moment, they were actually doing things against God. But here it is. On the other hand also, the Lord is slow to anger, great in power. The Lord who by no means, though he's like this, clear uh, the guilt. Therefore, no one can stand before his righteous indignation. The prophets would be shown. But we come uh, to verse 15. And in verse 15, you notice that there's actually a 10. There is a 10. Uh, away more or less from the fierce anger of God on one hand, that no one will stand before his indignation, and that Nineveh was going to indeed be utterly destroyed. Suddenly, there is this episode of good news, of someone coming, bringing good news. And that's why some commentators have said it looks like this uh, verse 15 is misplaced. Probably it would stand well in uh, uh, chapter 2 or in chapter 3 where we do see the salvation uh, coming because up to uh, this point it's still about destruction. Look at uh, chapter 2. He says, the scatterer has come up against you. Man the, ramp the ramparts. Watch the road. Dress for battle. Collect all your strength, for the Lord is restoring the majesty of Jacob. And it's like the, the issue of God destroying God, punishing, is still there. But there is this which comes more or less suddenly, but it's good news. The first part is about uh, the prophecy, the messianic prophecy of uh, the good news that comes with the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Behold upon the mountains the feet of him who brings uh, good news. Now actually, uh, Judah uh, is surrounded by mountains. And, uh, and uh, for, for the Jews, anyone coming down from the mountains, from the point when Moses came down with the tablets in his hands, there's an aspect of good news coming, salvation coming, being restored to their former glory uh, coming. And this is what, was, what uh, was happening here. Now remember that what we are looking at here is, is, is a prophecy. It's, it's God saying this is going to happen. And we need to keep this in mind. Whenever you, you read texts like this, just uh, remember that uh, because it's a prophecy, sometimes you, you may not be that didactic as, as you look at it and uh, completely expository because it's not about the words, about the message that is, is there, but you also look at the words as they come and as the words as they came to uh, the, the, the prophecy. So here, the nation of Judah, they, they were being uh, delivered. And that's the message that was coming uh, to them. They were delivered from their servitude. They were in deep sorrow all the time. And God was coming to, to deliver them from uh, their great sorrow. And in this delivery, it was 
peace being uh, proclaimed, having indeed known a lot of fighting all around them, now there was peace that was coming. And uh, because of these three things come as uh, an effect of uh, the peace that they were going to enjoy. Now, because it's a messianic uh, prophecy, we can actually indeed therefore iterate and speak of it as the peace that comes to us because of salvation that our Lord Jesus Christ has brought. But let us uh, go back to the text and we notice uh, three things which speak of our privileges because of the salvation that has come to us. We have these great privileges as, as Christians, many of them, great privileges that come to us because we have uh, been saved. But notice here, three of them that we we'll look at in our text, uh, Nahum chapter 1 verse 15b, keep your feasts, O Judah, therefore, so to speak, that's the first one, and secondly, fulfill your vows. And thirdly, never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. Let us see these things. Very important they are to us as, as believers because God has brought to us into peace and peace, and we are at peace with him. The first one you notice is the privilege of worship that is encouraged here. Because now the enemy is cut off, because uh, Nineveh was going to be destroyed, here is uh, God, the God who is jealous, the avenging God, the Lord who is avenging, the Lord who takes vengeance, the Lord who is slow to anger, the Lord who by no means clears the, the guilt, he has indeed proved uh, the point. And therefore, behold upon the mountains the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Therefore, keep your feasts, O Judah. Other versions actually say, O Judah, keep the solemn feasts. Keep your solemn uh, feasts. Now, we need to say something about this. When he says keep your feasts, he, he wants them to remember where they have come from. He wants them to remember those old days when they would go to the temple and offer sacrifices. He wants them to remember those days when they would enjoy these religious rites, when they would do things to honor uh, their, their, their God. And therefore, he wants them to remember his past acts as their God when he delivered them. And also, he wants them to know for a fact that indeed the Messiah was going to come. So, friends, I said keep it in mind that it's a prophecy. So, take it that uh, this, he said, was going to happen, and indeed it was going to happen. But for them to appreciate what was going to happen, he was reminding them that the days of peace were going to come. It is true that uh, during this period of the Assyrian uh, invasion, Judah was cut off, and cut off from two things. Cut off from access to Jerusalem and also cut off from their practice of uh, religion. Cut off from the others of, uh, among whom they enjoyed such a, a good uh, fellowship. And now it is expected that when this has happened, they will indeed be restored to that time when they were able to, to worship God uh, freely. Indeed, anything about war, anything about 
things that disturb your normal life just tend to make you feel very weighed down. Isn't it true that even COVID uh, has weighed us down? Even in moments when uh, we would have wanted to have come together for true fellowship, we, we couldn't. And now we're announcing, let's get back to normal. And now we're announcing, even in home groups, consider meeting together uh, again. And uh, the, our outward expressions were sort of uh, hindered. And now we have come out of war, as it were. And therefore, I want to immediately say with that we, we can relate to this uh, almost uh, immediately. But relate to it in these senses, friends, that the expectation is for outward expressions that were gone that must be restored. The context of the prophecy suggests that these uh, uh, expressions needed to come from inner uh, conviction. And also it, was from a it must be from a conviction of all that God had done. And you, you, you do see this right from the context of uh, these things. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. And now I will break his yoke from off you, and I will burst your bones apart. And uh, coming to hear these things, oh, these people would have uh, been excited. That God would remind them of all these things and tell them, now you can come back to your religious feast and save me as you used to, would have been very exciting. I'm reminded of Samuel when uh, he was advanced in years and was uh, indeed uh, long gone, going. He said this to uh, his people. He says, only fear the Lord and save him faithfully with all your heart. That is First Samuel uh, chapter 12, verse 24. S save him with all your heart for consider what great things he has done for you. And uh, they would have been very familiar with Samuel and uh, what Samuel stood for. And therefore, hearing this, that God, there was here, someone bringing good news, and God saying, keep your feasts, O Judah. Oh, friends, it would have been exciting to them. But here is what I want us to note. It is this, that God is the one who is speaking and says, therefore come and see what I have reserved for you. It's the same thing when uh, Joshua was almost bidding farewell. He said to the children of Israel, only be careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to cling to him, and to save him with all your heart and with all your soul. And the nation of Israel at this time was at peace, more or less. And that text I've uh, read, most of you know it from, uh, from your, your, your heart. You can recite it any time. But remember the context, it was the context of being at peace. Joshua also, in 24 verse 15, Joshua 24 verse 15, says, and if it is evil in your eyes to save the Lord, choose this day whom you will save, whether the gods your father saved in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will save the Lord. And this is what I want to bring to your consideration. While therefore the thought is that there is now peace you can go back to your religious uh, uh, feasts. These things must remind you of who God is. And so when you engage yourself in any activity that is toward God, that is toward God, remember who it is that you are dealing with. Keep 
your face. And the word that is used there, keep, is a word that suggests a lot of things, including remember, and remember in such a way that you are careful. And so, as we come out to come and therefore do these things, set your hearts as we come. Uh, is it an excitement that we should come out of COVID and uh, our authorities should say, do everything normal? Does that just excite you? Friends, these things that are toward God must make you pause. Consider the context here. The context was the attributes of God. And in, 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 in these aspects of uh, the attributes of God, consider, therefore, how you are to approach God within that context. The last time we looked at the fact that here it is that good is, is God and a stronghold in the day of trouble that we can take refuge in him. If that be the case, how do we then relate to him? How do we respond to him? With this privilege that we have now, that God has indeed brought us uh, into this position where we're at peace with him. Later on, we'll look at how God has dealt with a final blow concerning our sin. And uh, when that has happened, therefore, and that he has done all these things, friends, together as, uh, as a congregation, there must be a response that shows that we are appreciative of this privilege that God has given us. And so, therefore, we keep that which God has ordained for us to save him, and we keep all the things that we do together religiously. When we meet here, we sit, we sing hymns, we pray, we have the word of God read to us. Here, someone preached, and we sing hymns and all those things. Uh, do we do it in such a way that all these things will indeed have an effect upon us? Do we keep our feasts? And so it's not just a keeping of saying, let's go back to those things that we used to do, but rather it is a keeping that shows that our eyes are upon God, that indeed these things, therefore, they prophet, what he was shown and what he's saying to us is that these things must come not only from outward expressions but from inward conviction that this is what we are and this is what we ought to do, the keeping of the feast. That inner conviction is what he is enjoined for us. But in the second place, friends, it is fulfill your vows. Fulfill your vows. In Numbers chapter 30, verse 1 to 2, Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the people of Israel as they were settling. And this is what the Lord has commanded. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that uh, proceeds out of his mouth. And so you remember Jephthah's vow? You remember when he vowed wrong things and he was indeed made to keep his vow? Ecclesiastes also says, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pray what you vow. So rather pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and uh, not uh, pay. With these strong thoughts about vows and with uh, their history, to hear that God would say, fulfill your vows it would make them pause. Because vows uh, were strong pledges to God. 
very, very strong and required strong responses to God. And uh, I wonder if you have made a vow to God. And I advise you not to be quick in making vows uh, to God. And uh, for these ones, you know, under the threat of the superpower uh, Assyria with their ruler, and things in total disarray, even in terms of their religion. And here was uh, the metropolis of this time, Nineveh, doing all sorts of things. I think, I think that they would have gone to the extent of making a number of vows. And uh, we wouldn't blame them. Most of us, when we are in turmoil and we are seeking things uh, from the Lord, we, we make vain promises. Lord, if only I get a raise and a promotion, I will be faithful in tithing. It's familiar. We have heard this of ourselves and of others. If only, Lord, you'd grant me to clear these exams. Come the next term, I'll be the first one to be at church every day. You're even saying every day and yet the church meets on Sundays. And only on a, f a few other days. We do this, friends. We do these things. So... The prophet here shows that it was right to pay vows uh, to God. And also that it was necessary, therefore, to remember the vows. In the same way that they remembered what God had established for them to worship him, they needed also to remember their response to God in the time of calamity, but also in the time at this time when God uh, brings them uh, to this uh, uh, position. They needed to remember what they had indeed committed themselves to God. Now, rather than stretch it all the way like this, I want us to see what he is saying here. It is the strength of this is about the fulfilling aspect of it. It is that God wants us to keep our pledge to God. In fact, uh, other versions of Scripture, one other version of Scripture says, keep your pledge to God. But actually, the, uh, the right rendering is what we have here, your vow. In other words, that which you must not break before God. Keep it and remember it. And remember it to have your own moral strength to keep it as you come out from slavery, so to speak. As you come out from servitude. And this keeping, therefore, is about looking at what God has done in terms of what he's doing immediately but also in terms of the fact that you, he has made you his own. You are able to make the vow only because God knows you. And you're able to think about God only because you know that God is absolutely sovereign in all circumstances. And therefore, doing this also makes your mind go to who God is. And you think about what God is to you. And friends, therefore, this has a meaning more than just keeping the vow. But it has got a meaning of expressing yourself freely before God. And that is our great privilege, dear friends. Expressing yourself freely before God. Oh, friends, this is a tremendous blessing. Think of who you are. And also think of who you are in relation to this whole world. 
The world doesn't know you. But friend, God knows you. The one who is able to dash the whole of Nineveh. The one who rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Camel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers at his hand. And at the command of his word, the mountains quake before him. The hills melt, the earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it, who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his hunger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces. I was reading the verse 4 through to uh, 6 of uh, Nahum chapter 1. But friends, this is God, and yet you have the privilege of being able to express yourself before him. Oh, you ought to go in this world with your head high. And now, behold, upon the mountains, the feet of him, therefore, who brings good news, who publishes peace about your salvation, about your well-being. And therefore, God says, express yourself. And if you were to express yourself just now, what is the first thing that you'd want to say to God? Isn't it great gratitude for him bringing you into a personal relationship with him? Isn't it great gratitude? The psalmist would indeed pause in Psalm uh, 116 and he would say, What shall I return to the Lord for all his benefits? which he has bestowed on me. The cup of salvation I will take. And on the name of the Lord, I will call. Micah. Remember, uh, we said Micah chapter 6 is really the fulcrum. I heard the fulcrum was discussed in the morning, but here is Micah, which provides for what is the summary of the, the message of Micah. It is this, if you can turn to it. Micah chapter 6. Micah is just before uh, Nahum. With what shall I come before the Lord? In verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? That's how Micah posed. Here's the answer. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? And to walk humbly with your God. Oh, friends, with all this we see what Nahum therefore was made to see and to understand with this fulfill your vows. That it was to be able to show to God the appreciation of our uh, great deliverance and show our gratitude to him. Because then the fulfilling of vows is that we're able to go to God and express ourselves and be able to see that even when we have fulfilled, therefore, our vows before God, all our righteousness are as filthy rags before him. Do not think, therefore, that you can come and bring a great sacrifice. And do not think, therefore, even your tithes and as you, you save him to the best of your ability will indeed suffice, therefore, to fulfill your vows before God. The prophet would ask, shall I come before him with burnt offerings with calves a year old? Shall I give him the very best of my worship? 
shall I render to him everything that indeed is uh, indeed to be rendered uh, to him. God himself, because he is judge, and because he is so high and lifted up, all he requires from us is our hearts. And that's why uh, Asaph in Psalm 50 would say, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Perform your vows to the, of, to the Most High. That's what he would say. He sees the performance of uh, the keeping of the vows and he says it's a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And perform your vows to the Most High therefore. And call upon me in the day of trouble, God will say, I will deliver you and you shall uh, glorify me. Or say to yourself, with what shall I come before the Lord? Like the psalmist and like the prophet and like all these of old dudes, therefore pause and ask themselves, in keeping the vow, therefore, don't think you have indeed the capacity, you have got the moral stamina, and you have got everything it takes to therefore fulfill your vow to God. Many of us have said, God, do this for us. Sometimes we don't state it, but we think it in our hearts. If only God can, if only God, and when God has done, oh, you realize that if that only had happened and you would have come out, now you know that it happened for a reason. And rather, just express your gratitude to God. And therefore, refrain from indeed making these vows to God. Refrain from doing wrong things uh, to yourself and particularly to God. Refrain from all this. Rather, keep your vows. It sounds like a contradiction, isn't it? Fulfill your vows, make your pledge, but ensure that you indeed fulfill. So, here it is that indeed we can come to God as living sacrifices to him. Our whole frame of our journey to heaven must be that which walks in God's statutes, which asks every morning, what is your will, O God, that I may keep your pledge, that I may keep my pledge, that I may fulfill my gratitude to you. So keep your fists, fulfill your vows, and listen now that you can also share in the victories of God himself. For never again, he says the latter part of verse 15, for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. The worthless here is uh, Assyria and everything about uh, Assyria. The king of uh, Assyria is indeed passed uh, over. For never again shall the worthless Assyria pass through, through you. They will not. You can therefore go on to your great service. In other words, he is saying, your great enemy, that enemy you fear the most, that enemy is completely destroyed. The great enemy of our souls is the devil, and he is God has done a deadly blow to, to him. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he made this pledge, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And we need to remind ourselves of the context of what we read in Nahum chapter 1 who can stand before his indignation, who can endure the heat of his anger. His wrath is poured out like fire. That's what the prophet said. Thus says the Lord, though they are at full strength, in verse 12, though they are at full strength and many, they will be cut down and pass away. 
Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. Now I will break his yoke from off you and will burst your bones. Never again uh, would you therefore suffer like this. The Lord Jesus Christ therefore would say to his disciples and to us, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. The slave doesn't remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I will burst your bones apart. That is what verse 13 of Nahum chapter 1 says. I will burst your bones apart. If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Oh, what freedoms, therefore, we experience because of the victories that the Lord Jesus Christ has wrought for us. That he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God and thus live our lives in that way. The Apostle Peter would say this in 1 Peter chapter 1. If you want, please turn to that. Just read, I want you to see something here. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to, uh, to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable and defiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And he goes on, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. But these trials that we go through, therefore, friends, do not erase the fact that in this we rejoice. And it is rejoicing for the reason of our faith revealed to us in these our times. And that's why he would say later also in Second Peter and, uh, and chapter 1, again, from verse 3, look at how he says grace and this grace and another grace can be added to us. Verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. And then he goes on, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and we can proceed. All because his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God, therefore, has indeed granted us these things, friends. And indeed, never again shall the worthless Assyrian, the evil one, pass through you. He has been utterly cut off. You have no excuse, O oh man, to fail to live the Christian life. And therefore, we have been given all that is necessary to work the work of God. We have give, been given everything necessary to be good Christians. And therefore, because he has done this, dear friends, we can keep our religious feasts. In other words, we can remember who God is and we can remember that he calls us to save him. We can remember that we can express ourselves before him and express our great gratitude to him and be able to see that indeed we can make promises to God and say to him, oh Jesus, I have promised to save you to the end. Would you make that pledge today? Friends, even the ministry of the Holy Spirit is possible in us. I read my lips, I'm not talking about possibility of going to perfection, 
but possibility of actually going to save him and save him with uprightness of heart. Keep your fists, friends. Keep and fulfill your vows because the enemy of our souls has been utterly cut off. What a great privilege. What a great joy that here today, all of us who call upon him can indeed, in this very instance, be able to say, I will stand from here and seek to save you. In this very instance, even coming from a calamity such as COVID where we have lost our loved ones, near loved ones from our very own congregation here, as we come together, we will not forget them. As we come together, we will not forget our service to God. And as we come together, we will not forget who we are called. And as we come together, it is because our enemy has been completely cut off. Rejoice and glory in and bask in the provisions that God has made. And just remember that he grants you these great privileges. The privilege of being able to worship him aright, the privilege of self-expression before him, and the privilege of having nothing hindering you from service to God. Nothing hindering you from therefore coming to save him. Roman, uh, Romans chapter 6 teaches us in verse 13 and 19, to yield ourselves to God and to yield our members to righteousness and to holiness. That our members become servants of God himself. In other words, our very whole in whole that we might be filled with the spirit of God. And friends, this then is what I wanted to bring to us, all of us today that indeed in this messianic prophecy, behold upon the mountains the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, has indeed a revelry here of God wanting us to be right before him, to think right and do right, and that we may indeed come to him with hearts sprinkled with the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to remember that we keep our fists, therefore, fulfill our vows, and the enemy has been cut off. Glory in this and rejoice in this. And to that end, may God bless you. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, cause us to know these privileges, O God, and cause us to rejoice in them, but also cause, O oh God, that we may pause before you and seek to make ourselves right before you, and therefore to seek the help of the Holy Spirit and to grant that all the while we may be able to save you with uprightness of heart. Do this, therefore, God, for we pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. May the Lord bless you.